Hi, I'm Carla Wren. Clinicians in this post-pandemic era are managing an increase of post-viral illness, including autoimmune activation or worsening of autoimmune symptoms, neuroinflammation and cardiometabolic inflammation, which can seem difficult to unravel. Join me on Wednesday, August 9th at 7pm for Bioceuticals Clinical Mastery, Neuroinflammation and the Cognitive Impacts of Post-Viral Syndrome. In this 90-minute session, I'll be sharing my clinical strategies and therapeutics to support the health and vitality of patients suffering with the wide and variable symptoms associated with post-viral syndromes, particularly complex neuroinflammation and its potential chronic health implications. Go to bioceuticals.com.au to reserve your place today. Welcome to FX Medicine, bringing you the latest in evidence-based, integrative, functional and complementary medicine. I'm Dr. Michelle Woolhouse. FX Medicine acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia, where we live and work, and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the elders, past and present, and extend this respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. With the rise of the internet influences, it seems everyone is a wellness expert, but arguably one of the most esteemed of all wellness experts is my guest today, Professor Mark Cohen. Mark has spent his life in pursuit of bliss. Professor Mark is a medical doctor, a university professor, an author, a poet, an entrepreneur, a wellness trailblazer, and a perpetual student of life. He has spent more than 30 years practicing and researching holistic health and published more than 100 peer-reviewed scientific papers and many books and technical texts on wellness and natural medicine. On the show today, we are going to explore the science and the practicalities of five of the best cost-effective, bliss-enhancing, aliveness-promoting wellness hacks. Welcome to FX Medicine, Mark. Thanks for being with us today. Great to be with you, Michelle. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, You talk about balanotherapy and you speak a lot about the incredible healing quality of water, the power of it to heal and to sustain health. and, And I know that mineral springs are a really strong interest of yours. What do we know of the benefits in the research and does things like the mineral load, you know, impact the result? Tell us how it works and kind of a bit of the history of it. <laughs> There's lots of different <laughs> questions there. Um, yes, I've always been a big fan of water, and water is the most mysterious and complex substance in the universe. There are 72 scientific anomalies that we just don't understand about water. Wow. So there's still magic contained in water that we just can't know mm. or explain. But the things we do know is that you know, water is the matrix for life. If you look at your body by mass or by volume, you're about two-thirds water. But if you look at the number of molecules, you're 99.9% water molecules. That's because water wow. molecules are tiny compared to the other protein and nucleic acids and collagen, and et cetera. Mm. So you know, we really are water beings. Moving water. And, yeah, and the only reason why this life on Earth is because Earth is in the Goldilocks zone where 
liquid water can exist. Now, water can exist in all its, in the phases of solid, liquid and vapour. And Gerald Pollack talks about the fourth phase of water, which is structured water, which is what's mm. in our bodies. And that's why we're not a puddle on the floor being 99.9% water molecules um, <laughs> is because the water in our bodies is structured, um, mm. big you know, matrix molecules like collagen and proteins, etc. And hot springs is also where life originated. So if you look back through the history of life, life started where the hottest water on Earth met the coldest water on Earth, at the very, very bottom of the oceans, where you have right. you know 10 kilometres deep, and cold water is dense. So cold water sinks to the very bottom of the oceans, and you can have water mm. minus 22 degrees centigrade and still liquid right. you know, at the bottom of the oceans when there's high pressure. And also at the very bottom of the oceans, there are these, they call them black smokers or white smokers, these hydrothermal vents, hot springs essentially, where water comes up superheated coming through the Earth's crust. And that could be 400 degrees centigrade and still liquid. And that water that's coming up through the Earth is dissolved all the minerals. So it's, it's superheated water, still liquid, it's full of minerals, it's meeting this very cold water. So you have this incredible range of temperatures and pressures and, and solutes where organic chemistry can happen. And that's, that's our best understanding of where life um, was created. Wow. And if you look at humans, lying in hot water is just such a pleasure, pleasure. a joy, a relaxation, it's healing. And hot springs are pretty much in every continent. So mm. hot springs have been around since humans were around. And throughout human cultural traditions, hot springs have always been considered sacred. Um, right. They're places of healing. They're places where wars wouldn't happen. So if there was a, a battle, very often the wounded would come to the hot springs and they weren't allowed to fight at the, around the hot springs. That was where healing was happening, not fighting. And the different properties of different waters, again, there's still a lot we need to learn, but they're different. So wherever mm. the water comes through the ground, there are different mineral properties. So there's you know, sulfur springs and carbon dioxide springs and you know, lithium springs and, and iron springs. So different rocks and different minerals impart different properties to the water. And also the different temperatures. And temperatures are a really powerful way to move blood around your body. When you put you know, a hot press or you're in a hot bath or a sauna, blood comes to the surface, you open up your blood vessels. And when you're in cold water or you know, the cold, you vasoconstrict and move blood away from the, the surface into your core. So by manipulating the temperature of the water that we bathe in, we can actually move blood around our body. And that can be very useful for healing, but also for detoxification, um, forcing mm. you know, blood to go through places where there's a buildup of inflammatory fluid or, or metabolic waste, and then forcing that blood to go into the core of your body and go through your liver and kidneys and, and then get excreted. And the water that we drink, I mean, staying hydrated is one of the most important things. And then we're also just understanding, we published a research a while ago on the bathing biome. And we did some analysis of water coming from 600 metres underground at the, the Peninsula Hot Springs in Melbourne, where I'm, where I'm now medical director. And you know, there are the natural bacteria that, that are under the ground. And mm. when, when we bathe, we're not just bathing in water. Water doesn't want to be sterile. Water wants to be alive. Water yeah. naturally attracts life. And you know, we've had this sort of illusion over the last hundred years that bacteria and germs are bad for us and we have to mm. you know, wage war on them. We know, use antibiotics and disinfectants and chlorine and 
pesticides mm. and sanitizers. And that understanding has been challenged now. We're realizing that you know bacteria are us. There's more mm. genetic material in our body that's bacterial genetics than human genetics. Yeah. And that the bacteria you know, create our neurotransmitters in our gut. They're the greatest source of serotonin. Most of our immune system resides in our gut with our gut microbiome. It's like we carry soil around with us inside yeah. our our guts and uh, the villi are like out the roots that, that get the nutrition from that soil. And just like in a garden, the quality of the soil will determine the quality, the quality of the, of the, plant the, of the and plants and the fruit, yeah. Mm, That's absolutely. right. And if you, want to, if you want to improve the quality of your plants or your garden or your you know, fruit trees, you know, you add life to the soil, you add biomass, you add nutrients to the soil. And the same with us. If we have a diminished you know, microbiome in our guts, our health suffers. And yeah. we, still, we, we still don't fully understand the, the complexities of the microbiome, but we know that it's not just to do with the single, this is a bad bacteria, this one's a good one. It's about mm. the diversity and yes, the interaction and, and the ecosystem. Mm. Yeah, it's like a garden, an ecosystem. Yeah. So that's, you know, you know and, and that yeah, complementary kind of planting probably, you know, like when you plant things next to each other, you know, they, they love that. That's right. Plants we have these symbiosis. Mm. And um, I've just created a a company recently um, that actually uses that symbiosis where we make kombucha. And you have this symbiotic relationship between bacteria and yeast, you know, prokaryotes and eukaryotes that work with each other and actually work with humans. So it's actually a symbiotic culture of bacteria, yeast and humans where we feed, we make a nice cup of tea and we give tea and sugar to this culture. And, you know, with culture, you know, it's nice to have a cup of tea when highly cultured people sit around and have a cup of tea. Well, <laughs> exactly. microorganisms do the same thing. <laughs> they have a cup of tea. That's right. They love a cup of tea. <laughs> and, um, and they make all these other nutrients. So we did, yeah. we did a, a metagenomic and physicochemical analysis of kombucha and we found out that there was two and a half times the polyphenol content in the kombucha compared to the green tea that we started with. Wow. So, the, so the it's actually it's... It's um, they're more than the sum of their parts, really. Well, that, well, is... they're making their own nutrients. They make B twelve. Mm. They make biotin. They, all these extra nutrients are being um, created from, from these this ancient evolutionary sort of knowledge from the symbiotic colony. Mm. Yeah, all, all yeah. so complex, but so wonderful to tap into. So wonderful! It's so exciting to you know really think about that because it it almost brings up just such beautiful imagery and also how important it is to really respect the wonder and the mystery you know, of the body and also the wonder and mystery of the planet. But I wonder also talking about chlorine, you know, we put chlorine in our water supply and we put chlorine in our public, well, yeah. you know. It, it's um, this is the, the fear that we've had. You know, water doesn't want to be sterile, but it, it can mm. carry toxicity. It can carry infections and um, infectious outbreaks, um, cholera and typhoid were devastating and yeah, town planners were so scared of it that basically after the First World War, when they realised oh, chlorine's a really great killer, it can kill mm. humans. We, they used it in the First World War to kill people. But they, we can put it in the water supply and it can kill bacteria. Mm. And from a public health perspective, that sort of makes sense because you don't want big outbreaks when there's not great sanitation. But you know, now 100 years or more than 100 years later, where cholera and typhoid is not such a, a big worry... From a public health perspective, they still want to chlorinate water. They put chlorine in the water at a level that when it comes out of your tap, it'll kill things. Yeah. So it'll kill bacteria. That's the intention. So that's great mm. from a public health perspective. But from an individual perspective, it's actually devastating. Um, yeah. Because when you bathe in chlorine, you're actually stripping away the natural oils from your skin. And these yeah. oils nat- naturally protect you from the sun damage. They protect your skin from drying out. That oils support 
good bacteria in your skin that protects you from pathogens. And when you strip that away, your skin dries out. You encourage pathogens. So, you, you know, conditions like eczema and dry skin and dandruff and acne become more prevalent. And when you drink water with chlorine, you're actually waging war on, the, on your gut microbiome, which is your beautiful mm. garden that you need to cultivate. And what about asthma and, and the lung, like breathing in? Because it's obviously such a volatile chemical and, you, you know, you walk into these places and, well, you know, well, yes, you absolutely. inhale that. But they, they did some research in the late 1990s where they were looking at the delivery of chlorine into the body through breathing it, direct contact through your skin or drinking it's not just chlorine, it's the disinfection byproducts, it's chloramines, it's trihalomethane, these quite toxic chemicals, chloroform, that get um, metabolised from chlorine. And what they found is when you drank chlorinated water, none of those products appear in your blood because it passes through your liver first once it goes into the stomach. Mm. And it, while it's a you know, big hit on your liver, your liver has to detoxify, but it does. So none, none of these disinfection byproducts turn up in your blood. But when you mm. have a, a bath, even if you're breathing fresh air, just the contact of the water from your skin, you get this big hit of disinfection byproducts and chloramines, etc. And the same if you're in just breathing the air from a bath, from chlorinated water, you get another mm. big hit. And that's because when these chemicals come through your skin or through your lungs, they don't pass through the liver, they go directly into your bloodstream. Yeah. And you've got a few little life hacks about that. Tell us about them. Yeah, well, so I've been trying to work out the best water for myself and for my patients for years and years. And um, I was trying to you know, find the best water filter and I ended up creating a whole company that, that has beautiful water, which is filtered, structured, balanced, blessed and, and flows freely. But, um, you know, when I travel, you know, I love bathing. You go to a, another city and you're in a hotel and you turn the mm. bath on and the whole hotel room fills up with chlorine and, and I don't want to bathe in chlorinated water. So I worked out if you put the bath on really hot yeah. and leave the fan on and leave it for 20 minutes because chlorine is so volatile, then all the chlorine will evaporate and you can have a relatively chlorine-free bath just by leaving it really hot and waiting 20 minutes. That's great. And, and you know, if you can't afford filter, if you, just, if you um, boil the water, the chlorine will evaporate or become volatile. However, yeah. there's still, it's not just chlorine that's in our water. There's a whole range of chemical pollutants like pesticides and microplastics. And most of these are endocrine disrupting chemicals. And they're what mm. we call obesogens. So, wow, that's enough and, to activate and, everybody, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, well that's, you know, there's this whole ep, um, epidemic of obesity. And mm. you wonder why, but it's because we're actually consuming obesogens, these chemicals that make us obese in our water supply, they're in our food, and um, it's not a great outlook for public health. So I'm a big fan of Bill Mollison, who's the founder of Permaculture, and he says when you get the basic things right, other things mm. go right by themselves. But if you get the basic things wrong, it's really hard to play catch-up. When you get the basic mm. things right, the body just takes care of itself. Mm. So when, you know, when I consult with patients, I say, I want you to be able to sleep well and digest well. Yeah. Because if you're not sleeping well and digesting well, anything else I do is not going to work. Yeah. And if you are sleeping well and digesting well, anything else I do will be amplified and your body will take care of itself. That's it's, such a yeah. synergy in, in the whole of healthcare and medicine. Like just get those basic pillars right and, you know, 90, 95, 99% of the, the job because the body is just so intelligent and can just get itself back on track. So let's talk about cold water 
plunging because that's a big Mm -hmm. fad. What's the research, you know, telling us about this? I know it's got a long history and obviously places like Finland, you know, would ice plunge and then saunas, et cetera, and we're going to talk about saunas in a sec. But so, you know, do we know about how long, how often, you know, what's actually happening with the physiology? Is it about the brown fat? I know there's lots of questions, but... We we know a lot about cold water pressure, or or there's different situations. So, for example, there's a lot of research that's been done on unintentional cold water immersion. That's Mm. when someone falls off an ocean liner in the North Sea or Navy SEALs get exposed to extreme conditions. And in those situations, cold water can be deadly. So when you get immersed in cold water, especially if it's involuntary, there's a gasp reflex that's involuntary where you go, you know, the cold water gasp. (laughs) And yeah. if you're on an ocean liner and suddenly you fall off into the freezing water and yeah. you have a gasp like that, but you're underwater when you gasp, you're yeah. going to have a lung full of water and you drown immediately. And then the other thing that happens when you enter cold water, um, especially unintentionally, is you have this incredible adrenaline response, this sympathetic mm. nervous system, fight and flight adrenaline response. And if you have a brittle heart with an unstable heart rhythm, that can throw your heart into an arrhythmia Mm. And you can have a heart attack and die of a heart attack. So essentially you're mm. dying of fright because of the water. <sighs> and sometimes I call that dry drowning because when they do an autopsy, there's no water in the lungs, but the person's drowned. And often this happens within a meter or two of you know being able to gra- grab something. Wow. So that can happen very quickly. So that's the cold water panic response that mm. leads to sort of heart attack. So if you're doing cold water intentionally, it's really important to be in control Mm. and to do it gradually so you can control your breathing. Mm. And once you can control your breathing, then that's really powerful because that gasp response and the, and the hyperventilation that occurs when you're in cold water emotion, immersion, <gasps> that sort of yeah. um, breathing, that reproduces the body chemistry and the breathing pattern of anxiety, mm. a panic attack. And some people who have had PTSD or have had trauma in the past – this gives them the opportunity to relive that trauma in a very controlled way. Yeah. So you can actually overcome it and get mastery over your own body doing mm. that. So it's a really good opportunity to practice being relaxed while you're stressed. Yes. And that builds your resilience. So if you can practice mm. being relaxed when you're stressed in a controlled environment, then when the universe throws uncontrolled environments and stresses you, you have the, the skill to say, okay, I can deal with this. I know mm. what to do. I noticed after a couple of months of doing it, this my exhalation started to be longer. So I would I would slowly almost do that kind of prolonged out breath in which to kind of calm my body down. And it it felt almost like really innate and really from my core. And I thought that was just such an interesting thing. It was like my parasympathetic nervous system was really kicking in to calm my body down in that controlled, stressful environment. Yeah, um, I, mean, that, I loved that, it. Because that's getting mastery. You're getting, you're getting mm. mastery over it uh, felt a, like a, it, yeah. a stressful situation. And mm. I actually came up, I've come, come up with a few other hacks to, to do with that. So a few years back I travelled with Wim Hof and gave a lecture on the science behind the Wim Hof methods. And um, I was trying to teach people how you can stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system, your rest and digest system, while you're stressed. Mm. And I came up, there are 10 things you can do with your body that mimic what would happen when you're safe in your cave, when you're in parasympathetic rest and digest mode. And I call these the 10 hacks to relax. Great. And these are things you can do anytime you're 
scared, upset, anxious or in pain that you can tell your body you're in control. And it's yep. super simple and it's a poem. I've come up with a lot of poetry lately. <laughs> so my medical knowledge yep. has been converted into sort of poems. But um, you know, I, I've always loved medical mnemonics. So, so the, the 10 hacks to relax is simple. It's just touch all your fingers, wiggle your toes, soften your stomach, breathe through your nose, sigh, smile, swallow, sing, flutter your eyelids and focus within. And those activities will activate your parasympathetic nervous system. So if you're in cold water or if you're anxious, you're about to be public speaking, whatever it is, if you do those physical Mm. activities, you're activating your parasympathetic nervous system and telling your body. Yeah. So actually actively and consciously going into stress, but using that sense of mastery supports that kind of physiological resilience, that sort of state of hormesis. Yeah. So Correct. Yeah, so tell us about hormesis. I mean, is that, I mean, for me, it feels like it's stress that makes your body adapt to Mm. the stress. So then your body is better adapted the next time you get stressed. So that happens. I mean, if you go for a run, running is stressful. You're causing bits of inflammation and you're damaging bits of muscle, but then your muscles respond and, you know, you get more new muscle growth and your heart and lungs become fitter. So you're now better equipped to you know, run the next time. And with the cold water plunging, what do we know about brown fat? There are, there are different levels that happen when you do cold water immersion. So there's the immediate response, which is the you know, the hyperventilation and the vasoconstriction. And a lot of the benefits from cold water immersion happen very, very quickly in the mm. first you know, 60 to 90, 90 seconds. And that's overcoming that initial you know, sympathetic nervous system response. And if you mm. just get out and then, you know, naturally warm up, that's a really great exercise to do. But if you can stay in longer and you get to the point where you're shivery, your body starts to shiver, you don't really want to get to the point where your teeth are chattering and your muscles are shaking involuntarily, but just a little bit shivery. Mm. Yeah. That's telling your body is, is that, you know, winter is coming. We have to start upping our metabolism. And your body has a natural heating system that is built in around your chest, around the big blood vessels around your, you know, your clavicles and around your heart, and that is brown fat. Mm. And brown fat has more mitochondria than white fat, and the mitochondria in brown fat are thermogenically decoupled, which just means that instead of producing energy for muscle contraction or something else, they just produce heat. So it's like a little heater unit. And brown fat doesn't use glucose for energy because glucose is too valuable for your heart and lungs and the rest of other organs. What brown fat uses for energy is the most efficient energy source you have, white fat. So brown fat will take white (laughs) fat. And white fat is where you you store fat around your, your hips and your stomach. And it turns that white fat into heat. So that's sort of a holy grail of weight loss, you know. Genius. Um, so, I mean, that's what babies do. That's what bears do when they hibernate. Mm. I mean, when you and I went to medical school, we were taught that, you know, adults don't have brown fat. It was only in infants. And that's mm. because an infant, a, a human infant can't shiver. They don't have strong muscles to shiver. And they've got a big surface area to their volume. So they'll lose heat very quickly. So babies actually have brown fat deposits that keep them warm. And, and even young children, often you'll see young children you know, running around with not many clothes on and the parents put your jumper on, you know, you're going to catch mm. cold. But, but children actually have a higher metabolism and they generate more heat than adults. But you can stimulate that in adults by exposing yourself to cold. 
And if you wow. expose yourself to cold, you can actually reproduce and regenerate brown fat. And mm. then what you're doing is you're actually burning energy and turning it into heat. You're actually burning your white fat rather than just you know using energy for muscle contractions, etc. Wow. So I wasn't expecting, you know, such advice on the obesity epidemic, but cold water plunging and getting rid of chlorine and stopping, you know, water filters in terms of obesogenic pesticides and mm. hormones and whatever. I mean, there's two pretty good things that we can all start to do. Which and, is, and it's so um, basic. This is really so basic. So basic. Yeah. And um, awesome. I came up with another little routine and this was, you know, after I'd sort of toured with Wim Hof and telling people about getting the cold water was just you know, all the alpha males and all the people who really you know, gung-ho about it. I, yeah. I was running some retreats at Guingana and, and places where the people were like, we can't get cold. We, we don't you know cold. Yeah, right. I know. Um, I'm allergic and, to cold water. Yeah, a mm. lot of people have a big fear and they just can't yeah. handle it. So, so I actually came up with a routine that lets you handle cold water very gradually and I called it the cold water hokey pokey. And because it's such a simple thing to do. I mean, you don't mm. need any equipment. You can just do it in the privacy of your own home. It doesn't take much time. And essentially what you're doing is going to the, to the shower and you start with a really hot shower. And you know, the hot showers are nice. And then you get the temperature and you turn it up a little bit. So at the end of your normal shower, you're actually getting really hot and flushed and vasodilated. So all the blood's coming to the surface and you know, you're feeling really warm. And then you make the decision to turn the hot water off and the cold water on, but you just wet your left foot. Mm. That's actually quite pleasant because your body's been really hot. And then you wet your leg. Then you put your right foot and, and your leg in. <laughs> Shake and then it you put all your left hand and arm and your other hand and <laughs> arm. And that vasoconstricts the blood vessels in your arms and it sends that blood into your core. So you don't mm. feel cold. You know, you're still feeling warm even though your limbs have um, been in cold water. And yeah. then you keep breathing calmly and you smile to yourself because that's what it's all about. You know, having that calm breathing when you go into cold is really the key. Yeah. And then the little trick is you take a big breath in and then as you're putting your left side in, you sigh. So normally when you put your left side of your body under the cold water, when the water hits your neck where the blood vessels are close to the surface, that's when you gasp. That's when you normally right. go <gasps> like that. But if you'll sort of trick your body, so instead of, you know, before you put your left side in, you take a big breath and you go, so you're sighing, Mm. just as you said, when you go into the water, then you still feel the cold, but you don't get the emotional sort of fear response, that reaction from the cold. And it allows you to put your left side in, then your right side in, and your front Mm. side in, and you turn yourself around. And you continue (laughs) breathing calmly and you smile to yourself because that's what it's all about. Correct. And then you put your whole head in, and, and again, your head, your head is where you lose a lot of temperature, yeah. um, a lot of heat. So, you know, putting your head under cold water, it's a bit of a shock, but you, you sigh again, and you move your head around, you stand still, get a drenching, slowly turn yourself around, continue breathing calmly and smile to yourself because that's what it's all about. And then you <laughs> put the water on your groin, your kidneys, and your armpits, all the places mm. where the blood vessels are close to the surface, and you'll find... By the time you've done that, you'll be able to stand under the cold water and breathe calmly and smile to yourself and be quite relaxed. And at that point, yeah. you can turn the tap off and get out of the shower. And you, it only takes about a minute, but you would have spent the morning you know, singing and dancing and, and you feel really invigorated and alive. And yeah. you've also overcome your procrastination muscle. You know, you've, you've done something you didn't really want to do mm. and achieved something. So then the next time in your life you have to do something you didn't really want to do, but that 
phone call you didn't want to make or that job that you didn't really excite, weren't excited about, you can sort of get on with it and do it because you've yeah. practised doing that in the morning. That's right. And it's also got some positive impacts on immunity. Oh, it does. Like, how does that work? We still don't fully understand the immune system. As I say, most of it's in your gut. But um, studied with Wim Hof where he's got such charisma and such self-confidence mm. that he said, oh, you know, I, I can overcome anything with a bit of breathing and, and cold water immersion. And um, yes. actually tested him with some endotoxins. So it was E. coli lipoprotein. So right. it wasn't the actual bacteria, but it was the membrane around the bacteria and they inject that into his blood. So it actually it confuses the body to think you have a septicemia, a blood infection. And normally mm-hmm. you'd get fevers and chills and, and body shakes and pain for about 24 hours and then because you haven't got an actual infection, it would go away. Right. So it's a really good test of the immune system. Mm. And they did that with Wim and he didn't react. And they said, oh, look, right. you know, you're just a freak. You know, um, he goes, no, I can <laughs> teach anyone to do that. And they said, really? You know, how long will that take? You know, a year, two years? He goes, no, oh, no do it in a week. Yep. So he sort of, he was making, I've taught him, he, he made it up as he went along, but he was so confident. And they said, mm. okay, so they got, I think it was two dozen people that were that special. And he took them away to Poland and showed them a week of breathing and cold, cold exposure. And they ended up hiking up to, in freezing cold conditions up to the top of a mountain in their board shorts. And after the, after the week of training, they all went through the same process and were able to resist, you know, their immune systems were able to resist this sort of infective response. That's incredible. And it's, so, I think it's this hormesis. It's you're it's using physiology. Um, the sympathetic nervous system. And yeah. basically what happens, you know, the basic mechanism that we do understand is when you're in fight and flight, when you're in that sort of panic mode, which cold water does to you, your mm. immune system turns off. Yeah. And that's because when you're in the middle of a battle or running away from a tiger, you don't want to waste energy healing. No. You, know, you want to have all your energy to escape. And then you the heal muscles, when, you're, yeah. when you've escaped and you're safe in your cave. That's when your mm. immune system turns on. So you're the almost kind of co- activating it. You're activating the immune system after the event. So you're sort of strengthening it and through that resilience experience. Yeah, I mean, well, you're deactivating it during the event, so you're yeah. turning it off, and then then it's responding afterwards. And yeah, it's similar with right. um, your mind. So when you're in fight mm. and flight, when you're scared, you don't think properly. Your rational mm. thought is turned off because in those moments, you want to instantly and instinctively. You don't have mm. time to, you know, should I, you know, turn this way or, you know, should I run that way? Yeah. So your thinking mind turns off. That's a physiological response. If you're scared and if someone's, you know, making you scared, you won't think right. So mm. it's really good to have techniques that can bring you back, like the hacks to relax, can bring you back and relax. And that's when you'll make the best decisions. And in fact, after you come out of like a, you know, hot and cold experience or even just a cold experience, there's a point and, and you were asking before you know, how long and what temperature. And that's really hard to answer because it varies for everybody depending on the time of day, depending on their mood, depending on how fit they are, depending on whether they've mm. got worries in their mind. So it's really not about the time and the temperature. It's about the response that you get. Right. And there's a point that happens that I call the point of forced mindfulness. And that's the point yes. when your body says to your mind, hey, let's get out of here. It's too much. Yeah. No, yeah. It's asking you to tap out. Yeah. And that point is the point where you're actually overcoming like a hurdle. Mm. I think that's also a really good point too of like knowing when to call enough because I think mm. sometimes we think about stress and we kind of keep going. I mean, there's, you know, I know myself, I can, I'm like a workhorse. I can keep going and going. And it was actually really important for me to learn when to call enough 
and sort mm-hmm. of stop it. So it's like beautiful, almost symbolic of life in sometimes when we do these very nature-based experiences can sort of simulate just really well, common point, everyday experiences. Your, at that point, your mind and your body are on the same page. Yeah. Nice. Um, and at that point, it's really good good time when your mind and body, especially when you're deeply relaxed and your mind and body mm. are on the same page, where you can make really good decisions. Decisions are coming not just from your head, but from your gut. And we're coming back to the gut bacteria now because, you know, your gut instincts and tuning into yeah. the wisdom of your gut is yeah, really Yeah, and powerful. your heart as well, you know, that sort of central core exactly. of that, that essence, you know. And at um, those times, oh, your heart is relaxed, your pulse can go right down, your mm. breathing goes down. But when you're in the point of stress, that forced mindfulness, that's when you can practice being relaxed. That's when you can do the mm. 10 hacks to relax. You can take some um, breaths. It's similar to what happens in yoga when you do a yoga stretch and there's yeah. a point where you, you say, you know, I'm not going to stretch any further or I'll hurt myself, but I'll just try yeah. and relax in this stressful position. But mm. just like in a yoga class, when you stress your body and then you practice being relaxed while you're stressed, mm. at the end of the class, you do the shavasana, you know, the corpse pose, and you practice relax, relaxing while you're relaxed. Mm. And you get this very deep relaxation and that's the point where you want to make decisions or when your mind and body are on the same page. Yeah, beautiful. And what about heat? We talked about the hot springs and how important temperature is, but saunas are obviously an extreme kind of temperature. Is it much the same? Is it is it a hormesis experience as well? It absolutely it is. And, mm. and hot and cold work really well together. And this is something that um, hasn't been well represented in the scientific literature. So there's lots of research on sauna bathing and showing that if you, you know, sauna regularly and they say, you know, three times a week or more, yep. that you reduce all-cause mortality. You, know, you reduce the risk of dying of any cause, you know, heart attack and stroke and Alzheimer's disease and all, mm. all these and pneumonia you know, is all reduced. However, most of that research was done in Finland where it's just natural that when you have a sauna, you go out and jump in the cold. Yeah. And it's it's right. taken for granted. And, mm. and sauna culture has gone around the whole world. In fact, sauna is the only Finnish word that's in, you know, become sort of common in the English language. <laughs> but a lot of places that, you know, hotels and gyms will have a sauna, but they don't yeah. have a lot. Up, up until now, I mean, it's just happening right now where people are putting effort into the cold experience. Right. Um, and I think people are still wondering, oh, you know, we'll, you know, we don't want to put a cold experience because people might have a heart attack and die, you know. Um, they're <laughs> still a bit scared of it. Mm. However, you know, in Finland and Scandinavia and Japan and in the Baltic region, you know, Russia, they love saunas, but they also do it naturally in the cold. And yeah. combining the hot and the cold is like a bicep curl for your vascular system. You know, yeah, opening so up your blood vessels in the hot yeah. and contracting it in the cold. And so is there a difference between far infrared, you know, and the plain old kind of heat sauna or? There, there is. Infrared saunas, they don't have the, the steam or the, you know, the water. And water transmits heat 25 times more effectively than air. So the more humid it gets, the less temperature you can tolerate. You know, you can tolerate a dry sauna at 110 degrees centigrade, Sugar. which yeah. you know, sounds crazy, but you can. But whereas a steam room is 48 degrees, you know, it might be too hot. Now, with an infrared sauna, you're just using infrared radiation directly into your body, and that generally will heat your body at a lower temperature. So, you know, 50 or 60 degrees in an infrared sauna will be enough to mm. get you to sweat, whereas you might want 80 or 90 degrees in a traditional sauna. Right. Um, so, and infrared saunas, I mean, they have they vary according to the you know the quality of the build and the type of um, heater panels that they use. So that you know, you, generally you get what you pay for, but 
a lot of people like infrared because you can sweat at a lower temperature and it's mm. more comfortable. And it's the sweating, you know, is it the release of toxins? Is it is it something else about sweating? Because exercise and sweating has obviously been shown to be really effective from a longevity or all-cause mortality experience. Yeah, so sweating gets... is good for you. So, And mm. people say, which sort of sauna should I use? And whatever makes you sweat. It's yeah. really the end, that outcome that you want. And, mm. you know, sweating is really complex. Um, I had one of my students, um, Joy Hussain, who's a medical doctor who's spent seven years doing her PhD on sauna research. We've published quite a bit of research. In fact, a week ago, a week and a half ago, we just published another study that showed that you actually excrete pesticides. These organophosphate right. pesticides, which are some of the obesogens I was talking about, actually get excreted mm. in sweat. So we've got another hack for a weight loss. Yeah, yes, <laughs> sweating. And, weight and management. you literally clean your body from the inside out. Mm, um, nice. and, and there is a lot to do, you know, there's a lot of benefits of sweating and it, it is a detoxification pathway, although it's mm. really important, you know, to stay hydrated. And it's also when you're in a sauna, it's a really good cardiovascular workout. Mm. And this is a workout you're doing when you're sitting and relaxing or sitting and chatting yeah. with someone or lying down. But your heart is pumping a lot harder. You're breathing mm. a bit faster and your blood vessels are opened up, which means your heart has to work harder, not just faster, but harder because mm. there's more sort of open pipe to pump the blood through. So you need more force. So there's a lot of really good research to show that people with heart failure and cardiovascular disease benefit a lot from regular sauna bathing. Even though we did we did a big global research study on why people sauna and 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 all the benefits of saunering, and most people with heart disease don't use saunas, even though that's probably the most evidence based use of a sauna in terms of medical mm. conditions. But what we did find was that people use saunas for relaxation, and it, it, pretty much across the board, when you use a sauna, you sleep better. Mm, and coming back to the basic things, you know, anything that makes you sleep better will improve things across the board. So, you know, you're detoxifying, which is a great thing. You're um, sleeping better and you're exercising your vascular system and your cardiovascular system. So these are all really positive things for general health. And if you can incorporate that in your lifestyle and make that a regular practice, then this is a hormetic stress response when you're maintaining your resilience. So then mm. life can throw other stresses at you and you can you can handle them very easily. It's such a good way of kind of looking at longevity and lifestyle, like bringing it into kind of the everyday because a lot of these things are so pleasant. It's also social. It's yeah, it's very, exactly. And you often do do it with other people because of that excitement factor or that relaxation factor. I mean, it sure beats going for cocktails, you know, because you – you, yeah, you're together and, you know. Well, that's um, you're connecting with yeah. yourself, you're connecting with mm. nature, and if there's other people there, you connect with them as well. That's a quite a bonding experience. So mm. we talk about the currency of wellness is connection. And, you know, something to connect you with, you know, yourself with nature and with other people is if you can include those things in your life, then mm. you're going to have a good life. Amazing. I have so many more questions. So I am... I'm going to try and pin you down again, Mark, because listening to you is just like listening to a fountain of some sort of encyclopedic, natural, ancient wisdom. So it's yeah, just yeah, well, thanks, Michelle. Yeah, I, mean, I love so chatting. You know, this is a bit short, but uh, well, maybe I'll end with another poem. Uh, yeah, this was love during you the too. lockdown, when you're talking about you know the things you're doing during lockdown, I, I was sort of went to write down what are the things people can do at home that will improve their immunity, reduce anxiety and that require very little cost, training, or equipment. 
and that had scientific evidence behind them. And I started writing this list of all the things, you know, I've been studying complementary medicine for 30 years, so I was all the different mm. things and activities. And this list came out as a poem. So the poem is called The World of Wellness. It's on my website, and if you go to my website, all, each of the activities has a link to the scientific research behind it. So there are 50 activities in this poem, and when you go through it, you realize these activities connect you with yourself, with nature, or with other people. So the, so the world of wellness. Hold someone's hand, gaze into their eyes. Go barefoot in nature, bask in sunrise. Choose a dance partner and go find your groove. Do Tai Chi or yoga, mindfully move. Share a massage, enjoy healing touch. Focus on one thing and don't think too much. Make time for a hobby, play chess, fly a kite. Make use of your hands, draw, paint, sew or write. Help someone in need, donate to a cause. Play games, meditate, read stuff from bookstores. Turn off your screens, get a good sleep. Big clutter, spark joy and love what you keep. Dig around in a garden, pick up a guitar. Slip into a bathtub, sauna or spa. Care for a pet, take up a sport. Go on vacation and make your home a resort. Lie in a hammock, relieve pent up stress. Relax and do nothing and then do even less. <laughs> Laugh out loud, share a joke, give someone a kiss, say a prayer, chant a mantra, and follow your bliss. Wow. That's, if that's not the best advice ever on the FX Medicine podcast, <laughs> evidence-based, well-being, bliss-focused wellness hacks, by yeah. Professor Mark Cohen. Absolutely Evidence-based poetry. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Don't forget that you can find all the show notes, transcripts, and other resources mentioned in today's podcast on the FX Medicine website. I'm Dr. Michelle Woolhouse, and thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. This podcast is intended as healthcare practitioner education only, and it is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The Bioceuticals Clinical Range has been developed exclusively for clinicians. This product range offers complex formulas, higher doses, and specific ingredients for specialised cases. Bioceuticals Clinical infuses quality, credibility, innovation and professionalism into an exclusive product range that meets the needs and demands of private clinicians. Visit bioceuticals.com.au to learn more.